Hi, I'm Darren Steele. This is Think Queerly, a podcast about open-hearted personal leadership and thinking differently than the status quo, enough so to create an accepting, more caring and loving humanity. Now today I want to speak about arguments, controversy, contention, debate, and what happens when you don't participate in arguments or controversy? What happens when you choose to step back and witness? Do you remain silent? Does that mean you're not taking change? Does that mean you're being part of the problem? There's another way of looking at it, and that is practicing the principle of non-contention. And I'm going to get to that shortly. Now, enduring wisdom is profoundly simple, and it's often why it's easily ignored or forgotten. I've mentioned this in another podcast, and I quote, the way for humans is to act without contention. Now, that is, to me, such an important and valuable lesson that comes from the Tao Te Ching, and it is the very last two lines in translation of the very last verse, and there are 81 verses. As you're seeing, as I'm seeing, it just seems like this world, everything from the news, from social media to what's happening on the streets. And this is still, you know, COVID-19, December, uh, September 2020. There's ever more contention, opposition, argument, division, strife, distrust, violent aggression. It just seems like humanity is headed towards a bleak future, to put it mildly, mildly unless, unless we consciously choose a more loving and humane path. And while there are people certainly pursuing those paths, sometimes their voices get lost. Sometimes their actions get lost. Sometimes something happens that means instead we need to see protests. We need to see people coming together and actually shouting and holding up signs and needing to be heard. There is so much happening right now. And there's so much contention. There's so much argument that it seems to have eclipsed the possibility of another way. And it's really going to be, I think, a choice for us to practice something differently, as challenging as that may feel. So what I'm working on right now, I'm calling the six principles for cultivating open-hearted personal leadership. And over the next while, I'm going to introduce each of these. And this is from my ongoing study and contemplation of the Tao Te Ching for the book I'm writing about open-hearted personal leadership to cultivate a more loving, a more caring humanity. Now, this ancient wisdom that we find in the Tao Te Ching is literally timeless, depending on how you look at it. And I say depending because I'm not using this to create a religion. I'm not using this to create a dogma or an ideology. Rather, I'm looking at the aphorisms in the Tao Te Ching. Often they seem very paradoxical. One thing is said and then something else is said that seems like it's a contradiction but it challenges you to think more deeply, to go beyond 
perhaps a mere reaction at the level of the ego and to look at the world, to actually witness the world without judgment. And so I believe, and what I'm seeing in the Tao Te Ching, is that this timeless wisdom is an advice for our modern age, for 2020, going into 2021, that when you understand it, really speaks to what we can put into practice, what we can change, how we can see ourselves and the world differently so that we can, and what I'm advocating, cultivate humane social evolution, that we can eliminate inequality, that we can create more connection across people, across races, across countries, and respect and thus care for and save the planet. Now, for a much more in-depth introduction to um, how the six principles came about, please consider my previous post and podcast, The Way of No Contention, and listen to What is Human-Hearted Leadership on the podcast. I'll put those uh, links in the show notes. So I'm going to be speaking about the first principle of non-contention. And just to remind you, here are the six principles. The first, non-contention. The second, witness with impartiality. The third is compassion. The fourth is flexible yielding. The fifth is humility. And the sixth is oneness, the, the connection that we have with the entire planet, the natural order. Okay, so let's get into the first principle of non-contention. There's an old expression, you have one mouth and two ears, use them wisely. Now, I'm very guilty of this. Uh, I love to talk. That's probably why I like this podcast so much, because you can't interrupt me. <laughs> but I'm constantly seeking, um, as I learn more and evolve, to write and speak more in a dialectic fashion, to try and present an idea and an argument. Well, maybe not an argument. Let's not call it that, because that carries sort of a weight of emotionality. To present an idea understanding that I'm developing these ideas and I'm trying to understand them and apply them and, and help you to also see what they mean in a way that's non-contentious, in a way that doesn't even lead to debate, but just opens up the door for discussion. Now, when it comes to listening and using both ears and keeping the mouth closed, when we listen intently and openly without judgment and without thinking about what we need to say, we actually hear we hear completely. We hear more of what the other person is saying. I've done this. You've done this. You're sitting there. The person is saying something. But you're like, wait, wait, wait I got to interrupt. I got to tell. I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Or I, I know the solution to this problem, right? Or no, 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 you're wrong. I've got to tell you why you're wrong, right? And we just don't allow that person to fully, completely express what they need to say for us to take in everything and then to even sit back and perhaps contemplate all that they've said, just for what they've said, without any judgment. And so if we listen with our mouths closed and with compassion, we can discern the vivid details of their story. When we 
hear, when we fully listen to another person and they see that, they subconsciously recognize that we are paying them undivided attention. The less that you interrupt, the more that you fully listen and engage physically with your body language and with your eyes at that person, upon that person, with neutral gaze, with neutral body language, you know, arms resting at your side, not crossed across your chest, not furrowing your brow, not looking like you're angry. Unconsciously, they recognize you're friendly, you're welcoming, you're open to hearing what they have to say. And that's just an act of compassionate listening. And that reduces the threat response for the person who is talking. And so just call it the energy of that person speaking is then mirrored back to you, the listener. And we're not necessarily conscious of that. We might be conscious, but for the most part, we're not actively paying attention to that. When we get that back from them as a result of the full and open listening we gave them, we too feel safe. We too feel a complete lack of threat. And that diffuses the potential for opposition. That diffuses the potential for argument and offers the opportunity to foster and cultivate a a new, perhaps, relationship, if you're speaking with that person for the first time, or just a deeper relationship of understanding and compassion and commitment to a friendship and respect and showing uh, a level of respect for the dignity of the other person. So ask yourself, when was the last time that you felt deeply heard by another person, like you really felt that they listened to you. And I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And you might want to listen to all these and then hit pause and get out your journal and and come back and either write down the questions or just write down the answers. And I think it's an interesting exercise. So think about the last time you felt deeply heard by another person. How did it make you feel? to be fully understood? How did you respond and interact with that person as a result? So imagine you're having that conversation. You can tell they're listening. They are just asking you when they open their mouth, perhaps a question to have you explain more, to share more. How did you respond and interact with that person as a result of being so deeply heard? What words would you use to describe the experience? So let's say maybe you just had some key words um, that would like indicate what, what that experience was like for you. Now, what if that interaction started, say, as an argument or heated debate? What did you notice and what happened when you realized that you were being understood and you no longer needed to defend your position? So just an example, maybe if that, if you're thinking of one example and if that example started as an argument, but then it turned out that you were fully heard, For whatever reason, that person just started to calm down and and give you the space. When you realized that it was no longer an argument, that they were listening to you fully and intently and with compassion, and that you didn't need to defend your position, what did you notice? What happened when you realized that? What did you notice about your body and your physical defenses? Perhaps the harder next question is this one. So pull out a mirror and flip this scenario. So the last time you 
listened to someone. Can you recall? I'm kind of thinking to myself, when was the last time I fully listened to someone? And I have a, I have a person in mind. So consider the following questions. When was the last time you fully listened and supported someone else, hearing fully what they had to say, without judgment, and without anticipating what they might say next, and what you felt you needed to say in response? So you let go of needing to say something. You let them say what they needed to say. You waited until it was clear that they finished speaking. And they look to you with eyes of inquisition, with eyes of, I finished saying what I need to say, and I look to you now to continue this dialogue. What did that feel like? And which scenario did you prefer and why? Like, do you prefer the one to be heard? Do you prefer being heard? Or do you prefer to be the listener, to witness what another person has to say with openness with humility, without judgment. Now, I think, and I think you would probably agree with me, that the space for non-contention, the space for non-argument, exists between two or more people who are face-to-face. And right now with COVID-19, it's pretty hard doing Zoom or Skype meetings all the time, isn't it? But the shorter the medium of communication, like 256 characters on Twitter, and and the more that technology is used in the place of actually physically being present in someone else's company and having conversation, the greater the possibility for contention. There's just so much that gets lost in translation when we're using technology or lost when we don't have all of the abilities to communicate, such as body language, uh, tone of voice, sound of voice, besides just written communication. Now, Twitter, Facebook, all the news platforms, they're generally one-sided or designed to feel that way so that they can create contention. And anger and suffering and controversy and tragedy sell news like wildfire. And it drives that dopamine hit when you're looking at the news for like the stimulation in the form of emotionally triggering information, it's not a healthy hit constantly getting more and more triggered about this, this situation in a tweet or a Facebook status update that just makes you feel uh, under a threat or stressed out that this situation is happening. And then suddenly you get so riled up that you absolutely have to partake in the argument. You need to get on Facebook. You need to type, 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 type your disdain and frustration and can't believe this person said this or this politician said that. And you call someone out and you shame them and you blame them or you call them a bad name online. And this has been one of my biggest struggles in practicing non-contention. You know, I was just journaling this morning about how much I've grown, about who Darren used to be and how, you know, how much I've changed. I used to be so angry. I used to be so, um, have such a chip on my shoulder, be so angry at everyone outside of myself and ready to get into argument 
and generally an angry-looking person because I carried around that emotion all the time. Is it still with me? Sometimes. It's a habit that was built into my system for a long time. So, you know, when I read a tweet that I vehemently disagree with, it almost feels like an injustice if I don't write something in response. But lately, the number of replies that I started to write in anger, only just to delete them or hit refresh and and not even publish them publicly, has been decreasing. Because I know there's a better way. There's a much better way than looking at another human being as somehow being less than me. If I want them to respect me and to see my inherent dignity as a human being, then it feels really hard to say sometimes I have to do the same thing. Because attacking someone for their beliefs is probably the least effective form of communication. And I'm going to get into what that means in in a future podcast. But when we believe something, if you attack someone for their beliefs, just take religion, they are going to fight you. Because they've got so many threat mechanisms going off in their brain because of these deeply held beliefs and patterns of programming. The only way change is going to happen is an actual compassionate discussion when both sides are being heard which doesn't mean it's going to immediately change someone's beliefs, but it could alter the way someone thinks. For me anyway, and I think probably for most people, being non-argumentative, being non-contentious, so non-contention requires our greatest humanity. Because we're social animals and we're conditioned at, as soon as we're born and throughout our childhood, our child rearing by, by our parents and our caregivers, to seek connection and care and attention and love and belonging. We're socialized to play with the other kids. We're loved and coddled and cooed and spoken to and looked at lovingly. And that's how we develop those very human emotions. And these are the core needs of what's called our mammalian part of the brain that responds to social safety and security, that we belong We belong to our tribe. We belong to our family. We belong to this group of people. We belong to uh, a political party or whatever the case may be. So when we face another human being, if we feel safe enough to open up and be vulnerable with them, then we can build a potential relationship bridge towards understanding who they are, their story, their side of the conversation, what they believe in, what they value. So non-contention as an action, how do we express non-contention? How do we do it? Non-contention as an action consists of compassion, humility, and impartiality. When we understand and accept that we are all one, that we are all connected in our humanity, however different we may appear or act, however different our beliefs, when we recognize that we all want essentially the same things, to be loved, respected, and to belong, that's when we can be non-contentious. 
And that is essentially the principle of humility, which I'll get to in another podcast and article. So with the conscious practice of, of non-contention, we can work together to exist harmoniously in the middle ground, in the space between dualities or polarities or binaries, whichever you prefer, where humanity is the same, where we all want the same thing. And this harmony will only be disrupted when dualities become contentious polarities and the discussion turns into argument or, at worst, violence. I think the ultimate practice for non-contention is silent listening. And this is when silence becomes a great strength, not silence in the sense of not speaking up, Rather, silence practiced as a form of impartial witnessing. Non-judgmental, non-prejudiced witnessing of being open to understanding the other person's beliefs, their values, and their morals. And it works as an equalizing practice because you're trying to understand where they're coming from and where you're coming from, that's the same. I spoke about this in another podcast. Every argument has a middle ground, has an origin from which both people are arguing. So going back to the idea of two ears and one mouth, when you allow the space for the other person who is arguing from, from their side of the polarity, and if you don't react or respond they may just begin to start speaking towards that middle ground, that origin, that place that connects or from which both sides of the argument originate. That center. And it's human nature for us to close conversational groups, uh, loops, sorry. It's human nature for us to try and close conversational loops, especially sentences that end with a question. If I say, what do you think? Well, if you just walked away, that would be really odd, wouldn't it? You'd, you'd, that would be following something that I had already expressed, and you'd probably want to share your opinion or your thoughts. Now, the other person might eventually almost talk themselves out of contention. When they realize that you are simply no longer adding fuel to the argument. So the challenge here is that when you stop resisting and pushing back, you allow the other side to take cautious steps towards you. And this is by no means an easy practice, especially when it is in our nature to defend ourselves when we feel that we're under threat, even if that defense is just standing up for what we uh, believe to be right by using our words. So the equalizing part of this practice is that, is just practicing, not reacting with anger, not further feeding contention. Equalizing in the sense of bringing that person from the one far side of the polarity closer towards you. And 
just know that silent listening is not about ignoring the other person. This is about paying your full, undivided, impartial attention to what they are saying. You could even consider silent listening as a form of passive resistance, but in this case, this first principle of open-hearted leadership, the intention is not resistance. Instead, this principle incorporates the principle of yielding. And yielding is not about being a pushover or giving up. It's giving way, like letting something pass by. And in this context, I like using the metaphor of driving down the highway. We're all in cars. We're, we're traveling. Uh, different, we've come from different places. We're going to different destinations. Sometimes we're driving together. Two cars are just beside each other. Sometimes we're apart and in different lanes. And on the road of life, we all take unique paths towards our destinations. And sometimes the best thing to do when a situation becomes too difficult The traffic is getting unruly. People are being really aggressive. People are maybe going too fast and it starts to look and feel dangerous. Is to slow down and to fall back. Perhaps not getting off the road altogether, but slowly yielding, moving into a slower lane or taking a break at a rest stop. This is just another way of saying de-escalation, slowing down the rise towards anger and unsolvable argumentation. Now I'm thinking here, somebody may say, hey, you know, if you just sit there and silently listen, don't say anything, that person could go completely off the deep end because they think you're ignoring them. So take what I said earlier about compassionate listening. Silent listening in this sense would be saying as little as possible. You may have to sometimes ask a simple question like, can you explain more? Or how did that, or how does that make you feel? Or help me understand. Could be the hardest phrases to get out of your mouth without wanting to say something else that imparts your opinion. I'm just thinking of how I do this and how much I want to try and control or win the argument, but that's not the point here. And I want to say that these principles I'm developing based on the Tao teaching, they are not definitives. In other words, these principles are are elevated in the sense that they require practice and constant conscientious attention and personal responsibility to be the best human being, the most humane leader, the most open-hearted you can be. But they're not dogma. They're not rules. They're not ideology. And if you fail at practicing any of these leadership principles, if you fail at practicing non-contention more often than you succeed, bravo. Because your success is the fact that you're actually practicing. I know for me, of the six principles, probably non-contention is going to be the most difficult 
not impossible. I'm going to change that word to the most challenging because of the story I told you about my past behaviors. Now, as long as we all have egos, until we find a way to no longer have ego, we're never going to achieve a perfect practice for any of these. But the best we can do is to consciously and continuously give our best effort. And that, for me, is what makes these principles the ultimate expression of the best of humanity. And what makes us human is our fallibility, is that we make errors, that we fail. And when we pick ourselves up and try again, again, bravo, that's how we grow, that's how we evolve. And if we're not feeling at our best, if we're feeling physically unwell or overtired, it's, it's difficult to employ one or not all of these leadership principles. And in that case, sometimes de-escalation is best and safest and best may be accomplished by walking away. And I would suggest that not be your default, but we have to know when we actually have to walk away for our own safety or peace of mind, perhaps with the offer to come back and talk and have a conversation face-to-face at another time. So to wrap, the point I really want to drive home is this. If we want to create a more loving and humane world, one in which everyone has dignity and is respected for who they are, This improvement and social evolution is going to take time. It's a never-ending practice. We need to have focused and clear emotional intentions to do this work. We need to be conscientious. We need to be self-aware. We need to take personal responsibility for all of our actions and choices. And perhaps most importantly, we have to have hope. We have to keep hope. We have to look to the future we want to live in, and we have to act now on that future we are designing. And in so doing, we will have impact on others who will see what we are doing and will follow our lead when they realize there is another way that makes them feel more human, more connected. All right. Thank you for listening.